Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number 141. I am Dr. Brett Weinstein. This is Dr. Heather Hying. And you may notice that we are back in the Portland studio. We did in fact move. Uh, I came back uh, earlier to start, uh, well, not start, we've been packing, but uh, I came back and was packing. Heather joined me a couple days later. Zach is now sitting in the uh, producer's chair for what will be the last broadcast from here. Here we are in our Portland studio, our final our final live stream from Portland. Uh, we'll be breaking down the studio as soon as we finish here and uh, coming to you next week and in the future from our new home, about which we will talk about today. Uh, so today is going to be dedicated to talking about Portland, uh, which has been our home for four years and which we love, uh, but which is doing a very poor job of staying awesome, even though it still has a lot of awesome bits. So that's our plan for today. We are not going to do a Q&A today, but we will next week. We uh, encourage you to go to our store uh, in talking about what we're talking about today. We will point you to some new merch there, but just at the moment, say you can find our store at uh, darkhorsestore.org. Uh, that's where it is. Uh, come find me at Natural Selections, my Substack, where this week I posted a piece uh, that I called Misunderstanding Science, uh, speaking to the, the, the question of how it is that so many people who are highly educated and appear to be highly intelligent uh, seem to have no understanding of what science is and say things like follow the science and um, are quite certain that those of us who don't agree with the rapidly formed consensus on some of uh, the modern things that ail us um, must be conspiracy theorists as opposed to approaching the world scientifically. So that's, um, that's this week in, on Natural Selections. We are supported by our audience, that is you. We are very grateful to you. We are streaming right now on YouTube and Odyssey, the chat's live on Odyssey. We will of course show up on all of the, all of the usual places shortly in, in short order, Spotify and, um, and Apple Podcasts and, and every place. And, uh, and for YouTube and Odyssey, we of course have clips that go out, uh, Dark Horse Podcast clips, uh, which, uh, which are quite attractive to people and we encourage you to share to like, to subscribe to the channels, uh, to, to talk it up, uh, because that is, word of mouth is, is how things spread, how, how Dark Horse uh, continues to have its audience, uh, especially given that some among the big tech have demonetized us. We are uh, largely um, audience supported. Right, which is in fact the meaning of that uh, sword back there, which will have to be moved, the Sword of Damocles, which hangs still above the Dark Horse. Uh, we put that there when we were demonetized by YouTube, and because, of course, they have uh, just simply let that stand, even though they are now putting ads on our podcasts. Um, in any case, that sword will have to be moved with the podcast. Um, yeah, it's interesting, actually. I mean, this is we're still just an intro territory here, but a number of people have commented that uh, in the last week or so, there have been even more ads uh in the middle of and during uh, YouTube versions of our podcasts. And uh, I went and looked, and it's true. And... We're not seeing any of that money. So uh, YouTube is advertising on our show uh, while keeping us fully demonetized. And part of the reason they told us they demonetized us was that our content was incompatible with their sponsors. Clearly, that is not true. They would simply prefer that we not see any profit from their profit. Well, more to the point, uh, as was clear from the beginning of their demonetization, they are punishing us. And they are punishing us for saying things that they don't want said 
but uh, they are perfectly happy to uh, to make revenue from the podcast because, of course, there's nothing, you know, what we're saying makes sense. And so people <laughs> listen and it's a perfectly viable place for ads. Um, there, I do want to make one technical announcement. We have had the failure of the computer that runs the podcast this morning. Um, and that means that we are running from a different computer and have no backup. Should the podcast go off the air during, uh, we will not be able to reboot the stream in all likelihood. And so just know that that is what has happened. Um, we don't expect it at this point, but it could, it could occur. So we appreciate you subscribing, liking, sharing, sharing material. And uh, if you are in a position to support us in additional ways, we have Patreons where we do a private monthly Q&A on mine. We have, we have Brett has conversations on his and on both of them, you can access our wonderful Discord server. And of course, we have sponsors. We carefully pick and choose the sponsors who are brought to us by our wonderful uh, ad broker. And what that means for you is that if you hear us reading an ad, and you can always know if you're watching that this is a, this is a paid promotion when you've got that green per, uh, perimeter around the screen, uh, if you hear us reading something, that means that we have actually vetted directly or in a couple of cases, including one of today's sponsors, because we have no ability to vet it directly, had someone we are close to vet it directly, and we actually stand by this product. Uh, so if you hear us uh, reading a script uh, for a, a, uh, a product or a service that you have been wondering about, you can be certain that we are actually vouching for it. Whether that means that it will be right for you, that's for you to decide. So without further ado, here are three sponsors uh, for this week, Seed, MD Hearing Aid, and Allform. Our first sponsor this week is Seed. Seed is a company focused on bacteria and the microbiome, and they have a terrific probiotic called DS01 Daily Synbiotic. That's with an N. There are a lot of things that you can do to enhance your health. Our sign-off here at Dark Horse includes three of them. Be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. But a lot is hidden in those words. What, for instance, constitutes good food? Good food is real food, whole food, food that has been alive recently and was grown with care and conditions as ancient as possible given the constraints of the 21st century. But even when many people who eat such a diet, but even many people who eat such a diet are missing something. We contain multitudes. Every individual human contains so many other organisms, some of which may harm us, but many of which exist with us in harmony. We need them. This is why probiotics can be an important tool in a healthy lifestyle, even if you eat nutrient-dense food and avoid processed foods and seed oils and sugar. That said, probiotics are kind of the new current thing, aren't they? Everyone's taking them or thinking of taking them, and it can seem like maybe it's just a fad. Good news, though. Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic is the real deal. Not all probiotics are created equally, it turns out. Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic is a broad-spectrum, two-in-one, probiotic and prebiotic. It contains 24 distinct probiotic strains, and here's where it gets very interesting. I think, in a two-in-one capsule that protects the probiotics until they hit the colon, which where they are most effective. So if you've taken a probiotic for and you've found that it doesn't do anything for you, it's likely because uh, that pill was getting digested uh, in your in your foregut and didn't survive uh, to get to the place where it needs to be. Seed is designed differently, and that's why it works. And I can attest it's, it's quite a quite a remarkable product. Seed's daily symbiotic supports gut, skin, and heart health and micronutrient synthesis. Many who have used Seed report improvements to their digestive function in 24 to 48 hours. Start a new healthy habit today. Visit seed.com slash darkhorse and use code darkhorse to redeem 20% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com, S-E-E-D.com slash darkhorse and use code darkhorse. Okay, our second sponsor this week is MD Hearing Aid. 
This is not a product that we ourselves need, so we asked a good friend who does, and you will hear her testimonial mid-ad here. MD Hearing Aid was founded by an ENT surgeon who made it his mission to develop a quality hearing aid that anyone could afford. Recognizing that about 95% of the people who need a hearing aid only require a few settings, he removed some of the less often needed components. He also cut out the middleman, and now MD Hearing Aid makes a rechargeable hearing aid that is FDA registered and costs a small fraction of what typical hearing aids cost. These hearing aids aim to fit so well that no one will know you're wearing them. The rechargeable batteries last up to 30 hours. Their Volt Plus model is water resistant and up to three feet of water, and you don't need a prescription. You buy it directly from the source where audiologists and licensed hearing specialists are available seven days a week. Everyone can empathize with what it feels like to be left out of a conversation that others are enjoying. Here's a testimonial from that friend of ours who has substantial hearing loss and who relies on hearing aids. We asked her if, we, if she would try the product, and this is what she said. With my particular type of hearing loss, a deep male voice in a noisy room is the hardest situation for me to hear and understand speech. I wore the MD hearing aid to have a conversation with a deep-voiced man in a room with a lot of white noise. The MD hearing aid passed the test, as my conversation partner's voice was clear and understandable. At a price point of under $1,000, I was amazed at how effective they are. MD Hearing Aid has brought affordable hearing to over 600,000 satisfied customers. Plus, they offer a 45-day risk-free trial with a 100% money-back guarantee. Get clinic-level care for 80% less with MD Hearing Aid. Go to mdhearingaid.com and use promo code DARKHORSE to get their new buy one, get one deal. A pair of hearing aids costs just $149.99. Dark Horse listeners receive a free extra charging case, $100 value. So head to mdhearingaid.com, that's M-D hearing, H-E-A-R-I-N-G, aid, A-I-D, dot com, and use promo code DARKHORSE to get their new buy one, get one deal, a pair of hearing aids for only $149.99. All right. Our final sponsor this week is Allform, a company that makes terrific custom sofas. We like them so much we have two of them. In fact, during last week's live stream, we were sitting on one of them. Some people commented on how nice it looked. Well, as nice as it looked, it feels even better. What makes this sofa so terrific? For a fraction of the cost of traditional sofas, you can customize size, layout, fabric, and color. They do armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional. This is the easiest way to customize a sofa, and the quality is fantastic. Furthermore, they are beautiful and comfortable, roomy, and adaptable. All form sofas are delivered directly to your home, free and fast, and assembly is easy. We started with one beautiful sectional all-form sofa in whiskey leather. It's soft and supple and warm, unlike a lot of leather. We all pile on it to watch movies some evenings. It looks gorgeous, and it is incredibly inviting and comfortable, a rare combination. We liked it so much we got a second one. Also, some listeners asked if Allform holds up to pets. Yes, it does. The leather that Allform uses is 20% thicker than typical furniture leather and shows nowhere despite the fact that both cats and the dog lie on the couch many evenings. And if you prefer fabric, Allform fabrics are three and a half times more durable than industry standard for heavy-duty fabrics. So their fabrics are going to hold up really well with pets also. Finally, they offer a forever warranty, literally forever. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash darkhorse. Allform is offering 20% off all orders to our listeners at allform.com slash darkhorse. Step up your sofa game today. All right. That is our ads for the week. So this is our last, this is our last podcast in our, in our Portland studio. This is the waning days of us being residents of Portland. And it is bittersweet to be sure. 
we are very, very sorry to be going. Where should we, where should we start? Well, I wanted to so start. We're going to focus on Portland today. I have a lot of photos that will cue us to, um, to talk about various things that I know you and I both want to cover. But I wanted to start with um, a story, which I hope will not strike people as odd. Uh, when I went to, uh, I spent an hour on Tucker Carlson's program, and I got a chance to speak this with him. This is uh, a year ago, a over year a year ago. ago. Yeah. And he asked me, as we were sitting down preparing, he said, where are you living? And I said, Portland. And I expected the usual reaction that one gets from conservatives. I expected a snide comment or something like, geez, that must be rough, something like that. And that's not what happened. I said I, uh, that Heather and I live in Portland, and he got wistful. He said, oh, I love Portland. Hmm. And I thought, you know, this is really the problem, is that Portland has become a caricature, yeah. and it shouldn't be. Portland is a tragedy because it is a marvelous city failing to live up to its amazing potential. And I, I was heartened to hear that he had a relationship with it. He's a, kind of an outdoorsy guy, a do-it-yourself sort of person. And the fact that, you know, he'd been here and, you know, this is a great American city. And he registered it as such, um, gave me a certain kind of hope. That said, you know, you and I, I feel I still love Portland. It's not even that I loved it when we moved here or loved the idea of moving here. I still love it. Yep. But it does not feel tenable. It feels less tenable with every passing month. Yeah, it does. And, you know, I we, we aren't the sort of people who see signs coming from the universe. Um, but I have to say the fire apocalypse that's happening in Oregon right now and is causing the skies to be, you know, deep orange gray when the weather app assures us that it's sunny out and the sun is a glowing orb of angry red orange. Uh, I, you know, hopefully this doesn't become what happened two years ago, just yeah. about now, uh, where, you know, Portlanders and lots of people in the surrounding areas were basically, um, you know, if you were lucky enough that it didn't come so close that you had to evacuate, and a lot of people did, uh, locked in your home, hoping that you had good air filtration because the air quality was the worst in the world for, uh, gosh, I think it was over a week. It was, it was bad. And, you know, the air is thick now. You can sort of taste it. It's, it's. It's smoky out there, uh, and it feels like, yep, there is a lot to recommend the culture, actually, and the nature of this place, and both of them are failing in some rather extraordinary ways. Yeah, they are, they are failing, and, you know, it's, a, it's a, a step remote from what we want to talk about, but, you know, even the fact of unmanageable fires in the West is the result of naive fire policy in large measure. And so there's a way in which naive policy is really the problem. Um, as yeah. we've talked about before, Portland actually, not only could it function brilliantly, and I should tell you the slogan of the city is the city that works. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Sorry. It, it's increasingly <laughs> ironic right, uh. because it really doesn't work. But um, but the point is, not only could Portland work, but Portland is in a position to um, benefit from the failure of all of the other West Coast cities, yeah. right? For all it has to do is not make those mistakes. And if it did that, it would collect so much revenue that it could actually work really well and, in fact, benefit all of the people that we pretend in Portland are the, the center of this 
uh, policy fiasco, the reason that we are doing these things. There will be a lot of people listening. You know, we, we know we have a lot of audience in Portland because we're approached by you and we appreciate that. Uh, and we are sorry to, uh, to about not to be sharing our city with you anymore. Uh, but for people who've never lived on the West Coast, and, uh, you know, if, if you're watching Dark Horse, you're either liberal and disenchanted and disenfranchised or, or you're conservative. And so many people who've never lived on the West Coast wonder why anyone would at this point, right? And at some level, you have to, you have, to have experienced the West Coast, the, the natural beauty and the culture and, and the DIY ethos and, you know, just a lot here uh, that is not found anyplace else we've been. You know, there's a lot of places in the world we haven't been. Uh, and I um, actually haven't really spent any time in the American South, but I've spent time in all, in all the other quadrants of this country, plus a lot of other countries. And the West Coast of the United States is a particular kind of awesome. And as we are going to come back to, we'd like to keep it awesome. We'd like to keep it weird. As you said uh, on, I don't know, a recent podcast, you know, let's you know, keep Austin weird, keep Portland weird, uh, was adopted from the keep Austin weird. And that suggests a kind of alternative, you know, artsy, let's look at things differently approach. Uh, well, let's keep Portland weird, Western educated, industrialized, rich, democratic. And the whole West Coast is looking like it's sort of throwing up its hands at the whole endeavor going, eh, the West was fine while it lasted, but never mind anyway. Right. The, the West, well, the the West is uh, somehow the core of the problem rather than a prototype that has not fully uh, reached its potential. Yeah, is... no, I, was, I wasn't quite done there. Let me just, okay. because you said a number of things before that I wanted to respond to, and I've forgotten some of them now. But there's one thing in particular uh, that you said that the motto of Portland is apparently the city that works. And I don't, I feel like it's also the Rose Sea. Like there's a lot of things that identify cities, so I don't know exactly, like, I, I'm not going to claim to know that that is true, but I've heard that before. That is something that is said about Portland. It's on all the trucks. Okay. <laughs> that, that are running or the ones that are broken down by the side of the road? No, no. The ones that are okay. struggling to keep Portland barely functional. Yeah. Uh, well, so we were at dinner last night and uh, sitting outside on the patio of an amazing restaurant. We'll talk a little bit about some of the places that, that we love here and recommend, um, but I'm not going to do that right now. But outside, we were in uh, Slabtown, uh, for those of you who know Portland and Northwest um, quadrant of the city. And there was a homeless guy outside, out in this is like a patio with sort of some barriers. And he's on the sidewalk right on the other side of the patio, patio. And he had a clipboard that he was appearing to take notes. And sometimes he'd just like scribble furiously. And sometimes he'd like look at the cars and take notes. <laughs> like, <laughs> Guy's cosplaying as a municipal worker. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is acting like he's a city employee, but he has nothing. He has no idea what that would actually involve. And I, you know, I have no idea what you know what was wrong with him or what you know was he involved in some kind of performance art. Or, I have he was no having idea. a conversation with someone that we could not see, yes. and he was uh, jotting things down on his clipboard. Now I will say we are not making fun of this gentleman. He did appear to be. Quite happy. He, this he was did. Not, this he was not an angry homeless jovial. person. Jovial. No, he did, yeah. um, and he wasn't accosting. But I would on the also street. point out, yeah. what he was doing is not going to work. But it's no worse <laughs> than what the city government is doing, which is also not working. So, 
Ah, uh, yes. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. So maybe he heard the motto or saw one of those trucks and went, oh, the city that works. Well, I'm in the city. I guess I'll, I uh, guess I'll get to work then. Let's put it this way. Uh, if you told me that he was running for mayor and you didn't tell me anything else about him, if he was running against the current mayor, I might have to vote for him. <laughs> I mean, he's at least got a clipboard. Okay. I, I, so I'll, I'll bet Wheeler can source himself a clipboard. I bet he, but right, but I think he would probably destroy it as a measure to decolonize the city from the Western clipboard orientation, or I don't know what it is that he would clipboards do. Clipboards are probably a sign of the patriarchy or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's it's part of the they, problem. They demonstrate the hegemonic unification of the, I don't I don't know the words anymore. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm free enough of that landscape. I, you know, <laughs> time was I could put together some uh, some sort of word salad postmodern crap, but all I got right now is hegemony. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Which I would pronounce differently, but that is uh, hegemony. Uh, hegemony. 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 Oh, right. I, I right. turned it into the noun form without correcting where the syllable went. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, okay. I, I, I'm going to, since you don't know what photographs I've got, no, here, I some don't. of them I are mean, actually. I was with you when you took some of them, but I don't know what you got. Right. Um, yep. Zach, would you start with the first photograph? And we will describe these for people who are just listening. Hegemony. I don't think you actually need to hegemony. see them. Yes. So, first thing I wanted to say is that I think I didn't really understand what Portland was until we moved to the Pacific Northwest. Portland feels like a coastal city, it is not a coastal city. Portland is actually a city defined by two rivers. This picture that we have up is the Willamette River, which runs through the center of Portland. It literally divides West Portland from East Portland. Um, and it is a beautiful river. It is a river on which you can have a lot of fun. You do a lot of paddleboarding there. We I went out on my last paddleboard yesterday morning Yep, on it. You, there are these uninhabited islands that you could pull up on and sit and write. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's lovely. It's gorgeous. Um, we have kayaked on it. We have kayaked to uh, to dinner. That's uh, something that we've done here. It's mm -hmm. really it's really quite lovely. And even if you're you have uh, to put the kayaks on a rack and put it behind a car and everything to put in. But it's anyway. a pain in the butt. Yeah. But it's worth it. <laughs> um, but anyway, the point is, even if you're on land, the rivers have an important um, uh, impact on life here. Portland. It's funny. I was struggling with the question of is it a beautiful city? And um, I think but the it, other river, as you said, well, yeah, the, the, the other river rivers. bounds the north, which is the Columbia, the now tame, once mighty Columbia River, which separates Oregon from Washington, right? Which is on the border between Oregon and Washington, and it is at the north edge of Portland proper. Um, so but it, it has, it, it, unless you're at that very edge, which is where the the airport is, and. I guess there's, there must be industrial stuff there, but most people don't have a regular interaction with the Columbia, but um, most Portlanders um, have somewhat, I, I would think, certainly we do, have nearly daily interactions with the Willamette. With the, yes, exactly. Yeah. And um, so I was struggling with the question of, is it a beautiful city? And what I concluded is Portland is not a beautiful city because there's nowhere to look at it from. About the only time I ever feel like I'm looking at Portland is the bridges, which especially at night when the city is lit up, it's very stunning. It's gorgeous. Um, but it is not a city that you can look at from anywhere. But living here, the air is clean. The water is excellent. Um, I think it's a beautiful city. I think I think that's a strange um, standard. Like most cities don't have a place where you can see the city and go like, oh, look at that. Well, you know, it's funny because we grew up in L.A. I spent a lot of time at the observatory. There Griffith is some place. Observatory. Yeah, you, yeah, there is a place you can look down in L.A. That, that's a very particular situation. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But all right. Um, 
In any case, it is a city that is quite far inland, but feels like a coastal city. I mean, it's Portland, right? It's got two rivers that have ports on them. So it is a city that is defined by the uh, commerce, largely logging originally. The nickname of Portland is Stumptown, which doesn't evoke iron, anything. Iron as well, I think. Yeah. Stumptown, and you mentioned Slabtown, uh, mm-hmm. where we dined last night. Slabtown is a reference to these large wooden slabs that people make things like tables out of. Slabtown doesn't have any mills in it anymore, but once upon a time, that's what mm-hmm. was done there. Um, but anyway, it's the ports that define the place and caused it to be here. Um, but they are not, uh, they are ports for ocean going vessels, but it is definitely a town on rivers, yep. um, which has a, a, an impact on it. It is, it is not like San Francisco or LA uh, or San Diego or Seattle. Or even Seattle, even though Seattle is not on the ocean, but it's at the near enough to the entrance to the Puget Sound, or the Strait of San Juan de Fuca, that it's got, it's, it's, it's closer to the source. <laughs> yep. were, yeah. All right. Uh, next picture, Zach. So this is uh, Nansen's Summit. And I just put this in there. Hmm. Uh, because this is this is the nice part of Portland, right? This is a tiny little summit last night. in a neighborhood. Yep, it's a sunset last night. And this is a place that on you any could, you could see how much particulate matter there is in the air. Yeah, you can right? already you see the fires. You don't get are... a glorious sunset like that unless you got a lot of stuff in the air. Yeah, Sorry, but go people on. go up there any summer night, and often nights during other parts of the year. It's a great place to watch hummingbirds. There's, you know, bees have become uncommon in uh, in the Western world, probably as a result of neonicotinamide pesticides. But there's still lots of bees up at the summit. But anyway, it's a summit. It's about a thousand feet. Uh, off the Willamette, which is about at sea level. And, you know, this is a place people quietly gather. And anyway... You're looking at... You can't see it right now, but you're looking west, obviously, because it's sunset out over the coast range, beyond which is the Pacific Ocean. But that's, what, about 100 miles away, something like that. Yep. Maybe it's a little less than that, but... This is a, a favorite spot, and you know there was there was a young couple in love up there mm-hmm. yesterday. There was some uh, there was an established couple sitting on a bench talking about I don't know what, but you know this is just a nice little spot. Um, and there was us apparently eavesdropping. And yes, apparently we were we were <laughs> eavesdropping. Uh, all right. So anyway, that's um, that's sort of that's part of the you know the air is clean except for smoke sometimes. Um, the water is good. Uh, and you know, it's a it's a good healthy climb up there on your bike. It's a it's a nice uh, healthy way to live. A lot of people value being outside and um, not taking orders uh, from larger entities about how to run their lives. Yep. All right. Advance it one. And here, this is um, a living mural on the side of a building that has uh, an excellent Cuban restaurant in it. Palomar. Palomar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I mean by living mural is that it's a mural, it's a, a fanciful rendering of a, a woman. Um, but her hair is alive. Her hair is plants, and this is a gigantic mural, in fact. Yeah, this is what, a six-story building, something like that? Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, during the pandemic, when eating outside was uh, preferable to eating inside and understood to be so, the restaurant limited its menu and it moved the roof, which was glorious. It had some trees up there and they... Uh, and sweeping views. Like, oh, know, yeah. Th- 360 views. You could, couldn't get 360 in one spot, but you could walk around and see a 
you know, entirely around uh, the building, which is it's on the east side of the river, but not too far. So you can look across the river to the west side to downtown to the Pearl, and you could see all over um, the east side as well, out to Mount Hood. Yep, and um, and uh, it was always windy and warm and windy up there in the summer mm-hmm. uh, during COVID, uh, and you could look down on this mural for, from above, which was cool. Could you? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. You could stand right there behind the lights and and look down. Couldn't really see much of it, though. No, you could. It was quite distorted at that proximity. But <laughs> <I would think. laughs> uh, but anyway, um, it's a very cool place. And, you know, it, it again, speaks to the good part of Portland, right? Yeah. I, you know, this is, an, it is a, a provocative image, an interesting one to look at. And the idea of doing it with, you know, that's got to be a hell of a lot of work to water those plants on the side of that building. And yet somebody has thought to do it and maintained it, and it looks great. Uh, you want to go one more? And here, again, is a nice, this is uh, looking out into Pioneer Square. This is a statue, a metal statue of a guy with an umbrella, of course, in allusion to the the weather, which although the summers are always beautiful here, it's pretty constantly rainy for, you know, uh, I don't know, nine months. This is an old enough statue that he's hailing a cab, which (laughs) you don't really do anymore. Right. No, he's not hailing an Uber. That's true. but it's wonderful. So that's, um, sorry, go back there for a second, Zach, if you could. Um, he's up on this raised part of Pioneer Square where there are always three or four food trucks. And if you're standing around either waiting to order your food or waiting for your food to come out, because uh, for a year or so we had an office um, right overlooking Pioneer Square. Uh, and so we would go to Fried Egg, I'm in Love, the food truck. Man, yeah. that was good. Um, and when you're waiting around, no matter how many times you see this statue, you catch this guy at the corner of your eye like, oh, is that oh, it's a statue? What's that guy? Do? Oh, it's a person. It's, All right. it's incredibly lifelike. Yeah, it's a great statue. Yeah. You mentioned Fried Egg, I'm in Love, which is a really cool food truck. We don't have a picture of it, but it, Fried Egg, mm-hmm. I'm in Love not only makes an incredible series of sandwiches, yep. but every sandwich is a wicked pun based on music of the 80s, right? <laughs> um, so the, I mean, the title like of the restaurant is uh, obviously an allusion, I think, to The Cure. But in any case, um, so it's playful, right? Mm-hmm. It's exactly what Portland should yeah. be, and the food, right? I mean, it's the, the food culture in Portland is amazing. Like I said, we're going to keep on mentioning restaurants that we've loved, but... Um, a food truck, you know, food truck culture is real in Portland. This is one food truck of many in the middle of Pioneer Square that not only are they making amazing food, sourcing local ingredients, well made, thinking about the food, but they're also having fun with language. Yeah, right? yeah. totally. And it, and it's it's a it's a marvelous place. But then this is like literally this statue, and you know this statue that statue is actually looking out towards the Ninth Circuit, right? The important court building. Um, for uh, the the federal circuit, it's not right there, is it? It's a block or so away. Uh, well, I actually think it's right there, but no, no, that's not the. Go to the next picture. So this is actually. Oh, yeah, there's the courthouse on the right. Yeah, but I think the ninth. Go to circuit. the next. The ninth circuit may be a block down, but yeah. nonetheless, it's right Doesn't there. Yeah. But here's the here's the dark side. You have this historic. Portland. So this is a building that fronts Pioneer Square. Right. This, this is, is this is like you could see that dude, the umbrella holding, taxi hailing statue dude from. If you were looking buildings. that statue yeah. in the face and you looked up, this is what you'd see. Exactly. This is a beautiful historic brick building in the center of downtown, and it is defaced with 
this graffiti. It's a white brick building that has been defaced yeah. with this. Unfortunately, we are obscuring some of the most defacing part of it at the moment, the right. way where our screen is. But on the left, uh, you could, I mean, it's, it seems a little subtle to me looking at this when you're there looking at the building. It's so obviously defaced. But, and, you know, the only, the, the only positive sense I have is like, well, that took some tenacity. Like, how yeah. did they even do that? It did. It's, it's like, impressive. It's been up there for a long time. Well, they did. it hasn't even been up. They they have cleaned they it and it's been redone. They clean it and it goes back and they clean it and it goes back. And this is part of the problem is that civilization yeah. depends on you being able to drive up the costs of those who are violating its rules. Yeah. That's what the laws are for. And we are now making excuses for lawbreakers, right? Well, maybe the graffiti artist is trying to say something and maybe they don't have an opportunity to do it. And so maybe they can go deface this important part of Portland and that's their right and then we'll clean it up. And in fact, we will come back to this pattern. But it is the excuse making for people who are not living up to our collective agreement with each other that is actually driving Portland to the brink of failure. No, that's right. And that's what's happening in all the Western cities. And frankly, I think, you know, increasingly all the American cities, but especially all the West Coast cities. And go on. Well, I just want to point out that there's a loophole in that, which will be discovered. It will be rediscovered because it always is. And the loophole is a city that does not do anything to solve the problems that ultimately cause that wave of malcontent, a city that just simply turns brutal, right, that arbitrarily punishes people who have fallen on hard times, will drive them out to other cities mm -hmm. that don't do that. And that city will become marvelous because it doesn't have those problems as a result of its brutality. So the point is, some city is about to become brutal and in so doing, reap the benefit of every other city making excuses. Well, I mean, I feel like this is maybe the wrong, the the wrong point to make with this particular image. Uh, I, I was I was going to say at one level, this is a purely aesthetic violation, right? Um, I do think that Portland is a beautiful city from almost many of the vantage points. Although east of the river, you, you know, there are many fewer of them increasingly because you have these just endless homeless encampments, um, some of which are in tents, some of which are in the vehicles, uh, and just you know destruction all over the place. This is in this is in downtown, um, just west of the Willamette, and. As I said, it's purely aesthetic, and there's a hell of a lot going on in the city. You know, the murder rate is up. The you know the the, the illegal street racing, wrong way on streets. Like you know the, the you know not responding to nine one one. There's a lot wrong with the city that is actually putting life and limb uh, in danger. And this is merely aesthetic. On the other hand, what is it that? Uh, that drives people into a place like why why would you move to a city like Portland? And if they can clean up all the rest of it, which they don't show any signs of doing, then the claim can be, well, at least you're less likely to die here than you were in 2021, uh, right? But, but what you want is a, is, a, is a city that fills you with intrigue, with, um, with the impetus to explore, to be surprised around a corner with images of public art. And there is a fair amount of public art, but much of it is defaced the you know the elk statue got ripped down because elk are racist you know it's it's completely insane well you mentioned two things that are really uh, opposites that that lead to the same result right we have a city government that makes excuses for criminals right and we saw this throughout the uh, the riots yep right we saw people 
who people were not arrested, and on those rare occasions when they were arrested, they were immediately turned back to the city. They were they had people supplying uh, legal funding. They had a, a district attorney who Pain refused fail. to prosecute. Uh, prosecute, yep. and so anyway, there's that, and the city allowed the police to be demonized, as you, you'll see a little later. The idea that all cops are bastards and that, frankly, in Portland, you can spray paint on a wall, kill all cops, and this is taken to be an aesthetic flourish rather than uh, a threat. Yeah. Um, all of this results in a city that is increasingly lawless. And you're right, this is an aesthetic violation. But the point is, it's about the fact that we don't punish people. Instead, yeah. what we do is we clean up after them. And mm -hmm. so yes. go to the, go to the yeah. next... And, you know, you you shouldn't be cleaning up after your five-year-old when in order to make a point, he tips over his apple juice, right? You know, that's one thing if there's an accident, but at the point that your five-year-old looks you in the eye and says, what are you going to do? You teach that five-year-old that he is going to be responsible for his own actions. Somehow we've got a city of people who apparently were never parents or were such terrible parents that they never understood that actually teaching people to be responsible for their own actions is one of the first roles of a good parent, a good municipal leadership, a good anything, right? You you can't you can't do this this way. So we're gonna need to have this screen yeah, be smaller in order to see it. Scoot that to the right. Or have us. This be is uh, graffiti on a downtown building, a boarded up building, and there are a lot of boarded up buildings in well, downtown. And the graffiti here, which is actually visually kind of stunning. The art here is actually impressive. It's competent. It's, it's, it's 3D. Yeah, not above. Above is the usual tagging such, but the, the word on the bottom, which says decolonize, is actually really interestingly done. It's beautifully done, and it's done actually on boarded up windows. So it's they're not defacing, you know, real property. I mean, it's right, real property, though they but, would. But. Yeah. Um, but it also, the incoherence of decolonize as a claim uh, I want to revive a story. We may have talked about it before, but I remember there was some uh, there was some discussion about Latin America and Columbus Day and the offense of Columbus Day. And actually, I do believe that there is reason of all of the things that we celebrate. There is reason for us to rethink how we celebrate Columbus mm -hmm. Day. But the Latin American person who was responding to the idea that Columbus Day was just simply an affront, was saying, look, we understand, we in Latin America understand that this is the anniversary of something terrible for us, but it's also our birthday. Mm -hmm. So, you know, here's the thing. You've got <clears throat> Portland, you've got people who would tear it down, who wouldn't know the first thing about what to do if it wasn't here, right? They are simultaneously attacking it and dependent on it. And so the idea of decolonize, well, what does that even mean? Right. What? Careful what you wish for. Right. Um, well, yeah, it is. I mean, we've especially in the summer of 2020, we were talking about this a lot. But uh, the people who are the most outraged at the terrible life that they are able to have in the United States, uh, I predict, are the least likely to have been anywhere else. Right. And um, they're also very likely, frankly, to be from the privileged classes. These are these are, you know, the protesters and the protesters were actually a mix of, of Portlanders in the summer and fall of 2020. The rioters who reliably showed up or started doing their rioting after dark for over 100 days straight. Um, were much more represented a much narrower demographic, and it was much more likely to be you know white kids, basically upper middle class, well off white kids, uh, who were 
you know, making trouble. Yeah, they were punks. They were, yeah, they were, they were punks. And my my guess is um, that as interesting as this art is, you know, if this if this word was something different, uh, you know, we we actually drove by this. We were driving and just paused, stopped, parked, and <laughs> just pause, yeah. parked uh, to uh, to take a picture of this. And again, this is last night, uh, and it's really well done. But the message is incoherent. The message is incoherent. Decolonize. Yeah. Okay. So I also want to point out um, uh, something. There's an uncomfortable fact here. The taxes that we pay here in Portland are through the roof, which I don't think, you know, through the roof isn't good. It's not rational policy. But I don't think we either one of us would be troubled by high taxes. if We they knew were... that the taxes were high when we moved here. Right. And we have always always been interested in paying our way uh, and you know paying our share for services that are promised in return for what we're paying. Right. And the idea that what we have is a city government that has actually allowed the police to be so antagonized that the police are now reluctant to respond to 911 calls, it's like you're paying for your own persecution. Yeah. Right. And yep. that is a wholly different matter. So yes, there's a way in which it's odd to find us complaining about taxes but the point is taxes are for something yeah. right imagine going to a restaurant where they just give you the bill there's no meal you just get the bill right <laughs> do you keep going back? Or maybe they make you wash dishes and then they give you the bill right <laughs> that doesn't make sense and yeah. it doesn't make sense for a city either all right you want to go ahead here all right this is this marvelous truck we ran into yesterday which sort of explains the uh sure. the confusion of of Portland. Um, it's going to be a little hard for us to read it at this distance. I don't know that we should be showing us. I, okay. I think you should take this off, Zach. Um, I don't think we should be. I mean, it's not. Okay, that's nope. that's fine. Yeah, I just, there was most of a license plate on that truck. Oh, right. All right. Sorry. My bad. Um, so what we have here are. Yeah, I can't read any of these, but there, oh, there, there's two on this side that that uh, struck me as interesting to have next to each other. On the bottom right, read the bottom right one, Zachary. Oh, right. The woman with her back to us. Okay, the woman, uh, attractive young woman with short hair with her back to us, uh, with a speech bubble, I think, says, have you been catcalled? What do you do? Kill, kill, kill. And then on the same back of a truck, on the lower left, I think what it says, and again, we can't, we don't have a very good look at this, is uh, it says, have you tried empathy? Have you tried empathy lately? Well, um, I'm not advocating for catcalls. I've certainly been catcalled, uh, and it's not cool, uh, but those two in counterpoint with one another yeah. are remarkable no, remarkable fact, and it you know it, it is it it is being able to have those two things in your head enough that you can put them next to each other and not see the cognitive and not experience cognitive dissonance um strikes me as some of the same mental acrobatics that allow for the mass formation we're experiencing um society-wide right now right actually the person who just catcalled you, you know, maybe a psychopathic killer, might be a, you know, latent rapist, almost certainly not. 
you know, maybe just a you know dude hanging out with other dudes, and it's really about the other dudes and not about you at all. That's ugly. That sucks. Maybe he's really interested and he doesn't know anything about you. Either you know, except for the like psychopathic killer option, this is a this is a human being who is not showing you respect at the moment, but maybe getting into their head a little bit as opposed to saying, "Have you tried empathy lately?" and consider killing those who can't call. It's again incoherent. On the first Rogan that you and I did together, mm -hmm. um, I said that catcalling is not a compliment. It's an insult, mm -hmm. right? It's an insult. Killing is not the proper response to an insult, <laughs> right? Th this is a, a... Pistols at dawn might be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perhaps. At least if you both have the pistols. But yeah. And then, you know, there's another couple things on here. There's a something, a weird uh, image of something, love lock, where somebody's got somebody in a headlock. That's a, uh, an image that doesn't belong anywhere. And then in the upper right-hand corner here, there's another little sticker that's, you know, is a, like a cutesy little girl praying, please kill my enemies, right? And, you know, it is this... It's this incoherence, this juxtaposition of things that tell you that you're actually not thinking clearly, right? Yeah. Um, all right. You want to move on? Now, this one, I don't know what to wow, make Wow, where was this? I didn't see this. This is uh, over near so, City Liquidators. For those, so this is east of the river. Uh, for those just listening, not watching, it's a tent. Um, that, it, that was someone living in it, or yep, is this a workman's tent? No, this, this is, is a homeless, homeless, tent, homeless tent. And you can tell it's sitting a, on pallets, which are yep. used to keep it from getting cold. And it's up against a wall that's interesting. Like there's some nice mural and there's some graffiti, and it has either painted or it's, no, there's it's like a, a, flag. It's a flag. There's a flag on the tent that says Trump 2020. 20, did I say twenty twenty twenty? That's too many twenties. He's going to be long dead by then. Trump twenty twenty. Keep America great. Wow, that's isn't bizarre. that amazing? I'm not even Next. sure what to make of it. Know. I don't know if this homeless Stop, guy, again with if the it's ironic. Well, this guy might actually have a point. Like he might be sick of of the the mismanagement of of uh, Portland and the other West Coast cities, or this may be ironic. I have no idea. But, but in any case, but you saw this in 2022. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's amazing. Um, so incidentally, our, City Liquidators, which is a terrible name for a store, uh, is an amazing, basically two, I think, city blocks of giant warehouses with furniture and taxidermy. Oh, and some weird antiques. It's a strange, strange shop. And signs. Cool, oh, old sign, antique, like road signs and such. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And like, and, I think uh, there's a Bob's Big Boy statue in there. There's all yeah. kinds of weird artifacts. It's yeah, a very so interesting highly furniture recommend store. But again, actually, that, yes. that is what Portland should City be, right? The yep. interesting furniture store with the yep. crazy artifacts. Yes, totally. Yeah. All right. Okay, now I thought there's a pair of little graffiti murals here that I thought summed up Portland really, really well. Where is this? I don't recognize this. This is in the Springwater Corridor. This okay. is on the bike path on the east side of the Willamette. And I think I actually saw the guy who was doing this over the course of a couple of days. And so what you do, have doing here, the totem-like thing yeah. in the middle? Okay. So what we have here is a hybrid between some kind of psychedelic graffiti style mm -hmm. and the highly stylized Salish art that one sees in the Pacific Northwest. And in the next image, you'll see it even better. But here you have a kind of totem pole with an owl-like creature 
on top and some demonically grinning creature in the middle with some guy emerging from his mouth and then a crazy frown with the googly eyes in the bottom it's weird it's a weird mm -hmm. distortion of that art and you know I don't how, I don't how big is this how, what are we looking at it's about the height of it is about what a guy could reach I think he, he did it so from this the is pretty wide yeah it's not a pole it's a concrete pillar okay. holding up the uh, bridge above. Oh. So okay. this is where you're going under the bridge. Mm -hmm. Okay, now go to the next one. This is a different pillar. <laughs> and here you have... Same artist as far as you Yep, know? I think it's the same artist. So anyway... So again, this like hybrid of uh, Coastal Salish art with... Yeah, like psychedelic, like Ralph Steadman maybe. Some, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I also think I see in here there was a cartoon when we were kids in which there was a demonic shark. <laughs> I don't remember who the shark was. It a Pink Panther character on one of the oh, maybe. something. There was a demonic shark, and I think this might be an homage to the demonic shark um, cartoon. But anyway, it's I, look. I don't. I am now so sick of graffiti that I find it hard to accept even the stuff that is obviously the result of extreme talent. Um, so, but this, but this is on concrete that was going to be bare concrete, right? Still, we can't live in a society where you get to pick which bare concrete gets to have what mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. But nonetheless, this was obviously a talented person. And what they say is something I actually find... Oh, you talked to them? I did talk to him. Okay. But what he's saying visually here mm -hmm. is, I f I'm not sure I like it, but I find it worth my attention. There it is. And that, I mean, that's what art, art isn't supposed to make you all fuzzy inside. Right, right. Um, inherently, like some, some art will, but art, art ought to make you think. And this makes you think. It makes keeps you think. You, keeps you looking, draws your attention. Uh, probably, I mean, drew your attention long enough for you to remember it when you were thinking about what photographs to show today. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, advance one. Okay. Now here is a plant, a, an abandoned industrial plant on the shores of the Willamette. There are a number of these. I think this may have been a concrete uh, plant. I'm not sure. But it doesn't really this is matter. Also off of the Springwater Corridor. Yeah, off of Springwater Corridor, right as you get towards the Telecom Crossing, um, and this one had a graffiti on it. You might be able to make it out if you're if you're watching uh, the video here. But it says something like "naive, antsy, and BLM," and I thought that this was almost like a free association that reveals the mindset. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that means something I don't know. Mm -hmm. But at some level, okay, naive, antsy, BLM. Like, uh, man, you captured it inadvertently probably, but you captured it, right? Yeah. Um, so yep. anyway, yep. these things kind of speak to what the weird, buzzy, uh, unhappy, but lashing out kind oh, of strange okay. ethos uh, that has increasingly taken over the city. Okay, yeah, you're not you're not talking about because it's weird and buzzy can also have a positive valence. And so I said eclectic, you know, artistic, exploratory, interest in serendipity. You know, there's the the keep Portland weird crowd uh, is interested in making. You know, this is this is one of the one of the places where. The maker culture, you know, really took off, and mm -hmm. you know we have craft. We've grabbed everything, all, all the craft food possibilities, you know, the beers and the and the ciders and the ferments and the coffees and the you know baked goods and the everything and uh, and all sorts of you know more lasting products as well. But the you know what's getting 
what's getting publicized, uh, what was so public in the summer of 2020, is the opposite of making. It's breaking. It's it's unmaking. Yes, and even they're, they're creating an unmaker space. Even the tax regime that we were talking about has this as almost its uh, its central effect. So there are businesses here, really significant ones in some ways. Obviously, you know, Intel and Nike, but there's also uh, Golden West Billiards. There's Chris King headsets and hubs. There's high camp trailers. Yeah, there's a bunch of these mm-hmm. businesses where people are doing interesting, high quality things, innovative things. But you know, frankly. I don't know how you run a business in this tax environment because you're up against all of these people who aren't paying such punitive taxes elsewhere. And so it just seems to me like it's really got to take something to uh, to stick it out here in Portland. Well, and especially, I mean, I know I, I, know, I heard from a number of people uh, that especially during the nightly riots, when downtown businesses, you know, first had had to be shuttered for COVID reasons, for lockdown reasons, and then they were being destroyed. There was just damage happening every night, not to individual businesses for the most part. Um, but, you know, I remember, and we talked about this at, at one point, you know, walking around downtown on some beautiful morning and seeing these shop owners out front cleaning off the mess from the night before. Like, this should be their job. It shouldn't be their job at all. So... As, you know, for any of these businesses that are running running out of Oregon um, at all, but especially Portland, um, having a high tax base without the benefits from it, or having a high tax rate without the benefits from it, is a, is a big deal. Uh, but especially for the small business owners based in downtown, yeah, where you know, and 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 they started going to Mayor Wheeler at some point and saying, you know, we, we're going to leave. We have to leave. How is it that you expect us to run a business uh, when, you know, when all of this is happening? And at some level, you know, winter came that first, you know, and, you know, probably November, December of uh, 2020, uh, the riots, the riots picked up again briefly after the election. Like incoherently again. Well, you remember the uh, they went after the Democratic headquarters. Yep, and they came out with a sign. This is what we were trying to tell those who thought that this Antifa BLM group was actually on their side. The sign correctly said, "We are ungovernable." That's right. That's right. You know, and the point is, look, just listen to them. They're telling you. Yes. They don't want to be in a society. And you don't. You don't clean up the messes of the people who say we're ungovernable. You don't. You know. You don't offer them gift baskets and have them ask for space whips, which I wrote about in Natural Selections. Um, when what they're clearly doing is being facultatively homeless and taking resources. And you don't leave the and sheriffs. Not, and hold on. And you know, certainly not everyone is facultatively homeless, but some some number of people are saying this is the life for me. And it's coming at the cost of everyone else. And most of the homeless people you 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 run into and you see um, have had a, a series of bad luck, and or they are dealing with mental illness, and or they are dealing with addiction, and or they are dealing with city services that are actually making it harder for them to pull themselves out of the problem rather than making it easier. But there was a story in Willamette Week, which is the free news rag that <laughs> that Portland um, publishes, which I did. Um, donate to them monthly for a while until they started going after us, at which point I thought, maybe I yeah. won't anymore. Um, 
but they published this piece that I wrote about in Natural Selections about a, a homeless person who appears to think they're trans because he is wearing pearls and makeup, uh, who is having his homeless encampment moved across the river and the local school said, Oh, that doesn't, oh, I don't know. You know, can we get at least get a perimeter where there's no, like, I don't even remember what it was like panhandling or something within 200 feet. I'm making up numbers here. Uh, and some city official responded by saying that's racist. But these, these, these are white people for one thing. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And the school apparently responded to that. Like, Oh God, someone called us racist. That's terrible. Let's offer all of the facultatively homeless people gift baskets. And uh, at least the person interviewed in this story, uh, which I wrote about, uh, asked uh, to receive in a gift basket a, a space whip, which is a toy they use at a rave. So, you know, this, this is not someone who needs shampoo or a blanket or a tent or a place to lay his head down at night. This is someone who wants toys, a 30-ish year old person who, um, upon uh, being you know, covered in the local newspaper for being homeless, um, proudly says, yep, I asked for a space whip. Yep. Um, I've forgotten. I had something I wanted to add, but I, I don't have it. Um, all right. You want to advance one? Uh, so I did want to talk a little bit about the what I think is the emerging taxonomy of homelessness, because I'm now beginning to see that it's multiple different things. Um, so yep. what the image here is of is of something that has become very, very common in Portland. Um, this is not the most common version of it, but this is a derelict vehicle. I guess it probably still runs. Um, many of them don't, but this one, many looks of like them it does. don't. This one looks like it still might. The windows may be busted out. I don't know. They're certainly down. There are blankets up over the windows. This is somebody's, this is better than a tent because it offers more security. Um, but basically the idea is just as people have adopted tents to protect themselves in their homeless condition, people have now adopted vehicles. And increasingly over the last couple of years, that has been, that has transitioned from derelict cars to derelict RVs. Mm -hmm. And so there are places in the city, many of them, in which you'll have a line of RVs and all of the trash from the lives that these people are living strewn out. It just takes over sidewalks. It takes over uh, empty lots. Um, yeah. And it's it's uh, disgusting. It's obviously a hazard, a fire hazard. Um, but in any case, so I see that there is a, there's like a permanently homeless population, which as we have discussed, has a lot to do um, with addiction and mental illness. Mm -hmm. And then there are a couple of populations which I wonder, you know, homeless is kind of a euphemism in that case because homelessness is not the driving factor, even though people swear that it is. It's not enough homes. The rent is too high. And the point is, no, this is about a kind of dysfunction. Schellenberger does a great job of analyzing analyzing this and uh you know the i can't remember what it's called like the homes first or houses first movement which is just taken over as the only movement you're allowed to talk about being part of if you're trying to eradicate homelessness and you know he argues in san francisco um that you know if we if we called the population uh something else and not like unhoused not just moving the goalpost because it's fun to do so but identified that actually there are other things that got them here and there may be something that they share but there's a there's a there are exactly as you say different populations and frankly the you know the people who had 
bad luck and a medical bill or uh, you know the death of a breadwinner sent them over the edge into not being able to pay their rent or their mortgage anymore, and now they find themselves on their street with their family or whatever, um, those people definitely exist. And it is the responsibility of, uh, of a weird society uh, to take care of them. But they are, I think, a very small fraction of the homeless people that we are seeing. Well, I think they're a small fraction of the homeless people that we are seeing. Increasingly, I am, and partially this is something that our move has revealed to me, is that they- Our move to Portland? No, our move from Portland. The fact that we are using storage facilities, right, to juggle materials has revealed something to me that I did not, I had not understood, Mm. right? Which is what I think I am seeing. I don't know that this is what I'm seeing, but after many, many interactions uh, at these things, often late at night, you know, you pack and you do whatever business you need to do during business hours, and then late after things are closed, you take stuff to the storage locker to get it organized. One thing you're about to elide, though, I haven't been, is that the storage lockers officially close at 10. So if you get in before, you can get in before 10, but then you can't get back in. So it's supposed to sort of shut down after 10. And so you've been there sometimes finishing up stuff as the doors close from the outside. Right. And what I think I see is people using these storage lockers who appear to be driving vehicles that are in terrible condition. And what I think I'm understanding is People are using this as a stopgap. I think they may be living in storage Mm -hmm. facilities. Um, And you can imagine the trouble that causes. Some of these facilities don't have a bathroom. Um, None of the things that you would rent have electricity. But they are climate controlled. And so that a person who can make themselves... it's a lot cheaper than rent. Right. A person who can make themselves unobtrusive can utilize this. It's surely safer than living on the street and it's month to month so you know you, you if you're like oh god you know I, I i couldn't pay that last bill i lost my apartment i need to hold on to my job right i can get a storage unit for an amount that's a third my rent and at any moment that i get back on my feet i can move back into a real place yeah so these people are marginal Mm-hmm. But in, in terms of ec- at the economic fringes they're of society, economically marginalized, mm-hmm. they are not earning enough to live in a way that most of us would recognize. But they are not on the street because they have cleverly utilized yeah. this resource. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, nobody has said this to me. It's just it is you what one it. puts together if you watch the traffic at these facilities and you begin to detect the patterns of who's showing up when and all of that. So anyway, I guess the point is, look, you've got the tent homeless, you've got the derelict vehicle homeless, you may well have the storage facility, barely functional car homeless. And, and there are, of course, people in um, in shelters and, and such. I mean, sh- shelters have been defunded in service of uh, in service of creating other kinds of housing opportunities. Many of which, again, as, as Schellenberger outlines, are a failure at the policy level. But, yep. um, but certainly, shelters do still exist. Yeah, they do. And mm-hmm. I, you know, my sense is that people use them sometimes. Like bad weather will drive people to shelters and mm-hmm. things like that. All right, can we uh, move ahead here? Oh, now this actually, we saw this last night. This is uh, Portland State. Portland um, State University. This is the campus. You drive right through it. It's in downtown. 
Um, and the inscriptions on the windows, they have officially put signage in the windows here that says... Um, Change isn't a maybe. It's a must. It's a must. And there's also a, a BLM sign in the floor above in somebody's window. Somebody's put it in their office window, I guess. But anyway, this struck me because it, it reveals a kind of conclusion. I mean, confusion. And the confusion is to say change is a must. There's a way I can defend that statement. I mean, I've called myself a reluctant radical because I don't think we can afford not to change. But you have to say more than that. Change for its own sake is insane, right? When you have something that functions at all, just simply changing so that you're changing is crazy. And to have, you know, our local university broadcasting this message that we are about change without suggesting what sort of change it might be that they're interested in or suggesting that you... Uh, you support. And it suggests you, know, you follow that to its logical conclusion, and there is no state which will be satisfactory. Right? If change is a must, no matter what, you know, if there's no qualification of of conditions, then there is there is nothing to which you can aspire from which you wouldn't want to change. And uh, that is again incoherent, but also incredibly bleak. It's incredibly this is one of the blind spots of the left, and it's like a permanent blind spot, right? Mm -hmm. That once you realize that you want change, the you're not doing the hard work of thinking about what change you want or what would be enough, you know? At, at what point will you have achieved the thing that would then cause you to stop demanding change because you want the thing that you were demanding? It's like, no, no, I'm a change-demanding person. Right. Um, so I always say uh, that I'm a liberal who wants to live in a world so functional I get to be a conservative, and that's meant to cause you to think. But the, the point is, look, either you are asking for something because you think it would be good, at which point you should try to conserve it once it's there, or you're not, or this is a, a fashion statement. And there's yeah. way too much of this liberalism as fashion statement, and you know it's driving the city uh, to... Uh, Tremendous dysfunction. Indeed. All right. You want to move ahead here? So here's just more homeless encampments. They're everywhere. This one's under the entrance to the Tillicum Crossing Bridge, which I think is the next picture. Yeah, Tillicum Crossing is lovely. It's, it's I think, the newest bridge yeah. in Portland, and it's only open uh, to transit and to bicyclists and pedestrians. Uh, and it's, it's gorgeous. It's sort of off the... At the northern tip of Ross Island, just north of the Ross Island Bridge. Yep. Uh, and it's visible from most places along the waterfront, along the Willamette uh, within the city. And it's really just very striking. Yeah. And again, it strikes me as, you know, the, the tragedy of Portland is all the greater because the things that indicate the direction it should go are here, yeah. right? This wonderful bridge that encourages people to, you know, to ride their bikes or walk or whatever other mode of locomotion or use public transit, which can cross the bridge, right? And it, you know, it looks good. It emphasizes the river. Is everything good about this thing. Um, but at the same time, the decolonizers would tear it down and then wonder why they can't get across the river. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yep, indeed. All right. Move ahead. Ah, so this is... Mm. Um, That's a beautiful picture, Brett. Yeah. Uh, 
I took that from my bike. Yeah. Riding down. Um, this is the Riverview Cemetery, which is a gorgeous, you know, I, it's, I would not have imagined myself really loving a cemetery, but I love this one for several reasons. One, it's absolutely beautiful um, in all seasons, and the way the seasons change in the cemetery is so lovely. And the cemetery, which doesn't have to, has made um, a way for bicyclists to use it to avoid the dangerous roads that you would otherwise have to use to get from uh, the upland to the river. Yeah, so this is in the southwest uh, quadrant of Portland, which is where we happened to have bought. We were we were we didn't know much about what we were doing. We bought and uh, we bought in just the right place. Just the right place. Um, but in order to get down to the river from here, uh, it took it took a while. Um, but we and and then mostly you figured out a number of back roads, and then you get to the entrance of the cemetery, and then they have, as you said, um, opened up one route. So you can't, you're not allowed to bike on all of the roads in the cemetery. It's a vast cemetery, um, but you can bike down uh, to the river to get to the Selwood Bridge uh, from from here. And it's it is gorgeous. And they've made those allowances, despite the fact that there's obvious liability concerns. But they've done it, and the bicyclists, you know, try to respect the cemetery. This is the cemetery in which the bald eagles, the pair of bald eagles who lost their nest where their tree fell down, and they built a new airy and a second tree that I covered on some podcasts. It's in the center of the cemetery. Anyway, it's a very beautiful place. And the fact of the juxtaposition of you know, the dead with these very living fit cyclists coming through, uh, again, speaks to something uh, surprising and hopeful about the way Portland works. Yeah. Before we move on to another photograph, since I didn't, since because of the way things worked here and the tech, uh, we don't have any pictures uh, from me in this, in this slide deck, but sort of you, you and I biked Riverview, Riverview Cemetery a number of times, but uh, you did a lot more than I did. You started doing this, uh, uh, well, both going down to the nature area down there, uh, which is Oaks called Bottom. Oaks Bottom, yeah. and also you did the river to summit, the Nansen summit that we started one of the pictures at. You would go down and then go all the way up, and it was more than a thousand feet because there were ups and downs, right? Yeah. More than a thousand feet vertical climb total, and then back back down to our house, just about halfway uh, between the two elevations. Um, I often spent mornings at the Japanese garden, Portland's Japanese garden, which I don't have pictures of here, but it's, it's fairly famous and it's, it's stunning. And if you're a member, you can go early and, uh, and get in before the crowds arrive. And from there, if you, you can park up there and then you walk down through the Rose garden, Portland's Rose garden, which is stunning. And then you walk down through Washington park and get into the Northwest district, Northwest 23rd, and you walk all the way to the Pearl, walk to downtown, walk to the waterfront and all the way back. And uh, I did that a few times specifically when downtown and the Pearl and even Northwest were kind of, we're, we're looking real dicey in uh, the summer of 2020. And it just felt like, I don't know if I want to leave my car unattended. And still, every time we go down there, we see a lot of that, you know, the broken glass in the street that shows that someone took a hammer to someone's car window. Uh, but parking way up in the Japanese garden and walking all the way down through uh, first through a lot of beautiful cultivated nature and then some uncultivated nature and then into some of the really, really beautiful commercial areas, uh, including by Powell's, which is, you know, one of the best bookstores on the planet, um, is all, all remarkable. You can also from there get easily to the Portland Art Museum. Uh, which, clo you know, everything closed down during COVID and the patterns that I was beginning to develop 
largely stopped. So, you know, Portland Art Museum being entirely indoors did not open up as quickly again as uh, as did the Japanese Garden and, and the Rose Garden. Um, but all of these, oh, and for the first time, I finally went to the Pittock Mansion uh, for the first time a couple of weeks ago, which is this historic mansion that was built, I want to say around the turn of the last century, uh, by someone who ended up uh, helping to create what would become Portland. I think if memory serves, he ended up um, starting out like clerking and ended up owning uh, one of the Portland newspapers. Uh, and so uh, really contributed greatly to, to Portland. And this is a historic mansion with beautiful grounds around it, also associated with Washington Park, uh, which, you know, the other thing that we haven't said is that Portland has three massive, it has, it has a lot of small parks, but three massive parks. Washington Park is several hundred acres. Tryon Creek, which we're very near, which we can walk to, uh, is something close to 700 acres, I think. And then Forest Park is like 5,000 acres, which we've spent almost no time in. But um, these massive parks within the city uh, that allow people to get out into nature without having to travel far to do so. Uh, All tragically overrun by ivy. Which again yes. speaks to the promise and the tragedy of the place because this invasive species changes the nature of these parks dramatically. It, it decreases it. And, you know, there is still a lot of wildlife here in Portland, but it is distorted by the degree to which all of these parks have uh, succumbed to this this uh, aggressive invasive species. Yeah, at some point, we might, I don't think today is the day, um, but at some point we might want to talk about what invasive species are and why it makes sense to talk about invasive species over in, say, plant land or muscle land or whatever, you know, non-human organism land, but not about um, not about people not belonging in particular places. Okay. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a different ecological situation. And English ivy does not belong here, and it outcompetes um, so much else. And yeah, I can so go with the decolonized movement <laughs> as far as English ivy. Yes. And scotch broom and... So much else. Yeah. All right. Uh, move along here, Zach. Okay. So this is a gentleman. I stopped to talk to him. Uh, he's a Latino guy who works. I forgot to check what the employer was, but this employer. Is he covering up the graffiti yeah. or making the graffiti? And apparently it's almost a daily thing. Um, where, and th this is recent? Yeah. So this says for people who aren't uh, watching, there's like a teardrop with X's for eyes and arms and legs. It says, kill cops. And then it says Antifa with both of the A's as the anarchy symbol. Antifa hearts you. Sure they do. And then there's Doesn't the sure three arrows, uh, the Antifa symbol. That's the Antifa symbol? Yeah. The three arrows? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Um, and anyway, so this guy has been hired. I don't know what his job is supposed to be. But he comes out here and he cleans up the graffiti again and again and again. And his employer, he described effectively as weakly, that is to say, with great weakness, simply accepting that this is happening and taking it upon it's himself. It's their building. Yeah. It's his employer's building. It's employer's, his employer's building and his employer is spending money to have this guy repeatedly cleaning up the graffiti that gets written on there on a regular basis. He said it was something like nightly. And the tragedy Where is of this? that, uh, this is again Springwater Corridor. Mm -hmm. um, the, the tragedy of the squandering of this person's skill and labor on the cleaning up after people who think kill cops is a clever thing to write on a building 
right? Who and you know who haven't understood that Antifa is somehow a uh, a malignant distortion of a very important concept, right? Fascism is something we should oppose and be alert for. And here you have these people who have turned it into a uh, a flex. Right. And yep. they show signs of fascism themselves. Right. Why is this person's labor being squandered cleaning up after these fools? That's mm -hmm. it's just unconscionable. But then again, yep. here it is. And I thought it, it captured the tragedy of Portland pretty, pretty well. All right. You want to move ahead? All right. So this, if you can scoot it to the right a little bit, this is another of the hopeful signs in Portland. This is one of our favorite restaurants. This is where we were last night, G-Love. G-Love. Which, which, before they opened uh, the sign on the door, I don't know if they still think of themselves that way, but it, they said, I think it was called a reverse steakhouse. Uh, the logic being, as they said on the door, um, that the vegetables come first and the meat are the meats are available, um, but that it's 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 vegetable it's vegetable forward with meats for flavor as opposed to a steakhouse where maybe the vegetables are an right where you get a side. Now, I don't know that they really think of themselves that way anymore. But anyway, I'd never even heard of the concept before, and I was right. actively looking forward to them opening back in whatever twenty nineteen when I was first walking the neighborhood. So the thing is, it's a really so. If we haven't said it already, the food scene in Portland is unbelievably good. Yeah. It's unbelievably good. The number of, I mean, you know, you know, we grew up in LA. We've been to many of the great cities of the world. We've, we've experienced good cuisine, but nothing meets Portland for just for the sheer number of different really high quality restaurants and food trucks, but also the creativity of it, mm. right? The This place Jeez. has a menu that isn't like any other place on earth, as far as I can tell. And, you know, this weird VW bus is their signature van. We saw people dining in it yesterday. I think you can special request or reserve it somehow. Um, but it's a really, you know, well-restored VW van. But anyway, it's a lovely place full of, it's very Portlandy, right? Mm -hmm. If you look at the clientele, it's very Portlandy. They have a beautiful bar, which I did not quite capture a picture of. The bar is lovely. Their bathrooms are crazy. They have <laughs> two amazing. bathrooms. Don't, don't give it away. I'm not going to say what they are, but they are two radically different themes. So if you got to pee, you got to figure out which mood you're in. Yeah, different soundtracks even. But it's it's like it's yeah it's it's crazy. You step out of whatever meal mindset you were in, and suddenly you're in a very different place. Yeah. Anyway, it's a cool place. Yeah, the, but and the food the food is out of this world. It's dynamite. It's so good. And if you go. Save room for dessert and get the Whipalicious. Get the Whipalicious. Which is a strange name, but it's a passion fruit thing that, oh my God, it is extraordinary. If, if you can't stomach saying it, you can get somebody else to order it for you. But or anyway. just say like, I, can I have that passion fruit thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's a lovely place. And, you know, if Portland just leaned and into- the, And the staff are awesome. Yeah. yeah. Everything about it is just amazing. Everything about it yeah. is great. Their cocktails are excellent. Mm -hmm. um, by the way- uh, there's no better place that I've ever been for people who can't eat wheat, right? Mm -hmm. Portland, Portland yeah. is excellent at taking care of you. Nobody looks at you funny. They People know what doesn't have wheat in general. Um, there are many restaurants that are uh, either wheat-free or have a special wheat-free menu. Anyway, it's a place, it, it's a foodie place, and it's a place that um, is not 
it's not arrogant about its food. It's really special. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I will certainly miss about yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I we never watched Portlandia. I think I, we watched one episode before we moved here and I'm like, eh, whatever. Um, but there, you know, there, people take the food seriously here. Uh, I don't think anyone has ever asked to go visit the chicken or whatever before it's killed or whatever <laughs> happens in that first episode of Portlandia. But uh, it's true. You know, if, if, if you're not interested in thinking about food at all, uh, then you might view some of this as precious. On the other hand, uh, if you're really not interested in thinking about food at all, if you've got any health problems at all, maybe you ought to start thinking about food a little bit. And the proximity in Portland to one of the best growing regions in the whole country, you know, the Willamette River Valley is um, has incredible agriculture, as does um, east of the Cascades in Washington. And we, you know, we get incredible ingredients, and people really know what to do with them here. They're just the restaurants are extraordinary. Um, and I don't know, we've I've got a number of other. We would miss some, but maybe mentioning a couple other restaurants right now, unless you've got pictures of others. Uh, I wanted to say one general thing. Okay. I don't have pictures of others. Okay. Uh, one general thing, which is that Portland also did really well. It's not the only city that did this well, but um, at the point that people finally caught on that outdoors was okay during COVID, mm -hmm. Portland did manage to move a lot of its restaurants so the dining started happening outside and they've kept it. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, there's a lot of dining in the comparatively fresh air, yeah. uh, which is also super nice. One of the places that did that, for instance, was Ankeny Tap and Table, uh, which has maybe the best burger in town. Mm -hmm. uh, really incredible. Uh, another place that uh, definitely reconfigured uh, was, and I, I didn't look into this, so I'm going to get a little bit of this wrong, but Tasty and Sons, Tasty and Alder, Tasty and Daughters. Tasty was uh, sort of a, a mini restaurant empire with extraordinary food. I think Tasty and Alder was my favorite restaurant in Portland before COVID. Um, I remember going, taking their, um, taking John Wood Jr. there when he was staying with us. Um, but they, the whole, the whole thing went belly up in COVID, as so many small businesses did. Uh, but a couple of the people who were involved in in Tasty then started another restaurant that they're calling simply Tasty, um, close to us now, um, south. I think it may technically be in Lake Oswego, but it's either very southwest Portland or, or Lake Oswego, which is amazing, also. And like G Love, and like a, a number of restaurants in Portland, and maybe this is happening more widely, but they do the small plates thing where you can order. A lot of little things, um, sort of for the table. Yeah, and a lot of family style dining. Family style, but fam you know, family style sounds, I don't know, seventies. <laughs> you know, sounds different, and the, like you could certainly order stuff for yourself if you want. But uh, I think it frees up the kitchen tremendously, not to have to be like, oh, we got to get those four plates out at the same time. Right. You know, you, they could just it shows up, you know, and the the wait staff will tell you at all of these places. Oh, Lechon. The Argentinian place down yep. near the waterfront was amazing, um, kind of a steakhouse. But uh, they also, you know, will you know you order stuff and they'll come out whenever it comes out. But as long as you ordered food that's amazing, it doesn't matter what, what shows up when. So it actually speaks to something. Mm -hmm. I think maybe this is happening elsewhere. But to the extent that a bunch of our favorite restaurants and there are a couple we haven't mentioned are yep. doing the small plate family style mm -hmm. thing, it actually alters the way um, it alters the way dinner works, mm -hmm. right? And it's not even, you know, uh, family style in the way Asian restaurants used to do it. Um, it's, it all kind of comes out at once yeah. and, you know, there's a certain number of dishes. And yeah. the this way, um, 
A, it slows down the pace of the meal, right? Mm -hmm. And B, it uh, it's definitely different. Like you, if you go to one of these places alone or you and I go alone, it's like, well, okay, it's many fewer things. And the idea of a lot of different, uh, you know, I guess tapas was always this way. But yeah. um, the idea of the variety that you get um, and, you know, sort of stop when you're done uh, is it, it alters it alters dinner and it does fit with the Portland is an unusual kind of place, even at the level of, you know, just dining at a good restaurant. Indeed. Um, gosh, there are a lot more. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting many, but I think uh, I think two that definitely warrant particular mention because we spent a fair amount of time there are Rotigo on Northwest 23rd, uh, which just does fabulous grilled chicken and uh, turns that chicken into into chicken parts. <laughs> Rotisserie chicken yeah. and uh, sandwiches, and they have... Actually, Mama Bird does as well. Yeah, Mama yeah. Bird also. Mm -hmm. um, and then Lola's, Lola's which yeah. um, is in Lake Oswego uh, for sure, uh, south, south of Portland, but uh, we've spent a, a lot of time there, and they do a... Um, they do a number of things brilliantly, and the staff there are also fabulous. And uh, yes, the gonna... turkey Havarti apple sandwich is particularly good. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, all right, you want to move on here, Zach? All right, this is um, our cats who did not know they were about to move, as they were about to move out of Portland. This is them enjoying uh, what is our very natural um, backyard wilderness um, for essentially the last time yeah, they are they are safely away from the coyotes now yep um, all right here uh, is maddie who uh she's not an insecure dog but somehow in us packing she became concerned and so she climbed into the driver's seat of the car to make sure that we did not forget her <laughs> it's kind of a, an interesting insecurity on her part so lest lest you guys be concerned. Uh, our younger son, Toby, uh, who I got started at the high school up. So we're moving. We haven't even said. We're moving to the San Juan Islands. And um, and Toby started up there now. He's got all the animals up there with him, and we'll be joining him shortly. All right. Um, and here is Toby. Now, I wanted to explain this image. This is an image people will not be able to figure out, probably. I can barely figure it out. Toby is wearing a full face helmet. He is sitting on one pedal of his electric unicycle at night with the taillight shining at the camera um, and the headlight shining off forward. And this image came to be because Toby called me. He was out riding his electric unicycle one night and he called me up and he said, um, hey dad, why don't you get your camera and meet me at this spot? He said, there are some owls and they're doing crazy stuff. And this was actually just after my bike accident. And although it was only a couple blocks away, it felt like 10 miles away. But anyway, I hobbled my way up there with the camera. And there were indeed these owls. I think it was a pair, a mated pair, and a baby owl learning to do owl stuff. And they were right there and doing cool things. Um, but anyway, I thought that this also spoke to um, the promise of Portland. Mm -hmm. Here Toby is out at night. No concern about his safety here, other than that he might fall off that device. Um, and, you know, there's nothing normal about electric unicycles or, you know, a child exploring at night on his own. But um, this, you know, that's also, I've never seen anybody sit on their electric unicycle that way. 
But in any case, this struck me as a pretty good image for keeping Portland weird, right? Mm. It is actually in both senses of the term, right? Portland's an unusual place, and it fits a guy like Toby very, very well. Um, and it's also, as uh, Heather was mentioning earlier, keep Portland weird is um, kind of the dual theme. We like both the fact that Portland is an unusual town, right? And we also like the fact that it is a, you know, a testament to what Western civilization can be. Yeah. Um, and the fact that it would jeopardize that over uh, naive symbolism and gambling on the possibility that if you wreck what works, that what will come back in its place will be even better is just, it's mind boggling. The tragedy is really hard to overstate. So maybe, uh, maybe that screenshot of the, of the new shirt now. Um, yeah. Actually, you want to you show that? Uh, um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss so much about this. Yep. Keep Portland weird. The new shirt says, and then in smaller font underneath parentheses, Western, educated, industrialized, rich, and democratic. Yes, that's our plea to Portland, right? You don't want to give that up, right? Yeah. A prosperous city that uh, is uh, educated and has the benefits of Western civilization um, does aspire to, to democracy. All of these things are um, uh things that you will miss when they are gone and we are we are risking them for for nothing um all right you want to move ahead uh so just a couple more images here uh this is uh a not very beautiful image but a interesting image of the belly of a ferry boat um oh uh, headed to the <coughs> islands um and then one. So we'll talk uh, more about the San Juans. So some some of you will be familiar with them, and if you are, uh, you will probably be thinking, "Oh, they're lucky." Yeah, uh, which we are. It's an extraordinary archipelago. We started going um, when Zach was a baby, so we've been we've been going up there for sixteen or seventeen years, and um, often multiple times a year, and have always wanted to go. And because it seems that Portland needs to fix a lot of things in order to remain weird. In both senses of the word, uh, we are we are going now. Yep. Uh, and so here's a ferry, the ferry from Anacortes in Washington, uh, over to the islands, San Juan Islands. All right. So now go to the last image, and I actually uh, had a dual purpose here. So on the one hand, uh, Dark Horse will absolutely continue, as you all know, it will continue uh, not in this studio setting anymore. So this is um, not quite a sunset. I should tell you what, what we have here. You're looking yes, at. this is an unset. This is an unset. This is an unset, and I want to explain what an unset is. An unset is when the sun has set, but you are either moving yourself or you are on a moving object, and it causes the sun to re-emerge from perhaps behind an island, as it has done here. Um, and uh, anyway, so this is the unset into which we are heading. Um, it's, there's going to be a certain amount of dust in reconstructing Dark Horse. We will continue to live stream, but the studio proper will not be- We're gonna build uh, a new studio, but there's no f even fiber to the to the place yet. So <laughs> we're, we're gonna be kludge in it for a while. Uh, our new place is fiber deficient. It is, <laughs> it's really backed up. <laughs> 
Yes, the contractor who puts in the fiber is backed up. But um, that's not his fault. I don't no, think. no, it's no. not. Um, anyway, all right. In any case, uh, that's about uh, about where we've landed. Oh man, I'm sad. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm sad. And if I was the kind of person who got angry, I mean, it's not that I never get angry, but if I was the kind of person who got angry easily, I'd be really angry. Yeah. Right? This is needless. Portland has what it takes to be a yeah. great city and for it to gamble what it's got on uh, nonsense fairy tales that anybody who knows how to build anything knows aren't true um, is is obscene. Yeah. So we'll be coming back. Um, and I hold out, you know, fantasies of moving back at some point. But uh, we will see. Let's see what happens to uh, to the world and to this city in particular, and uh, see if we can't can't realize the goal of keeping Portland weird. Absolutely. All right. Is that it? I think we're there. Okay. Um, so. Uh, we will see you next week from uh, a makeshift space as we were in last week on uh, in the San Juans. Uh, no Q&A this week, but we will be back next week with a Q&A. Consider joining our Patreons, reading our book. Our book's been out almost a year uh, to the day. By, by next week, it will have been out a year, and we'll maybe talk a little bit about, more about that. Uh, remember to keep Portland weird, and you can find that shirt at our store, which is somewhere. Um, that's going to be at darkhorsestore.org. That should be easy enough to remember, but apparently I can't. Um, until we see you next time, be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. Resist calmly.